Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. All right, so today we're going to continue in our resurrecting series. And I'm going to cut straight to it. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in illustration except to say what we're doing. There are things that when we sinned, when man originally sinned, that died in us. And those things are love, according to God's definition. They are peace, according to God's definition. And they are hope according to God's definition. Those things died in us. We lost our ability to love like we should. We lost our ability to walk in peace as we should. We lost our ability to hope for an eternity because we had no hope of an eternity when we sinned. But God sent Christ Jesus to resurrect those things in us. Amen? And I'm excited about that. Not only did he send Jesus to resurrect those things in us, but he continually is resurrecting those things in us. The love that I had a year ago should be less than the love that's resurrected in me now. The peace that I had last year should be less than the peace that's resurrecting in me now. And same for the hope. We should be people who are constantly raising up as God raises us up. Amen? Showing the world the life that is in us. Last week I talked about love. This week I'm going to talk about peace. How Jesus is resurrecting peace in us. But before I do that, I want to talk to you about the two kinds of peace. Not just in the Bible, but there's two kinds of pieces everywhere. First, there's a peace that exists in conflict. Exists in conflict. This kind of piece is seen in Philippians 4. Let me read that to you real fast. Philippians 4, starting in verse 4, reads like this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Can I tell you, it takes a special kind of peace to rejoice always, especially when things ain't going like we think they should go. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, everybody say the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you know when, when you're in conflict is when you need God to place a, a guard at the door of your heart so that you don't walk in anxiety. I tell you, there's stuff in the world right now that we could be anxious about. The whole world has lost its mind. They're trying to teach five-year-olds that it's okay for them to be something other than what God created them to be. People are, countries are invading countries for no other reason, apparently, than they just want their space. Economic, the economy, the government, everything is upside down right now. But you know how I still wake up with a smile on my face? Because there's a peace that exists in conflict, and that peace is acquired through Christ Jesus. Amen? Man, that's so good. Because no matter what's happening around me, it's not bigger than the God that I serve. 
And because it's not bigger than the God that I serve, I can have peace regardless of what is happening around me. That's the first kind of peace, the peace that exists in conflict. But that's not the kind of peace I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the peace that destroys conflict. The peace that Jesus Christ died to give us. You know what? He died to give us peace in conflict and to remove us from conflict. Did you know we were enemies with one another, had nothing in common, separated before Jesus Christ sacrificed himself? Did you know not only were our relationships destroyed vertically or horizontally, but our relationship with God was destroyed vertically until Jesus Christ died to give us peace? That peace destroys the conflict that exists between us and with God. That's the peace I want to talk about today because that's the peace that was given at the cross. I want to talk to you about the cross today and the peace that the cross offered us, the blood that Jesus Christ shed. What peace did he offer us? He offered us a peace that destroys conflict, and that is so good. And I'm going to do that, like I said, out of Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. And so I'm going to start reading, to, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verses 11. And it reads like this, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and stranger to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, that is the conflict, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity, that conflict. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, that's the Gentiles, and those who were near, that's the Jews. For through him we both have access, have our access in one spirit to the Father. Amen. That's a mouthful of theology right there. And I'm going to make it as simple as I can with two points. Here's the first one. Christ's death resurrected peace amongst us. If you're taking notes, I'm, I'm giving you a pause to write that down. I recommend you take notes. I might say something crazy. I might say something crazy. <laughs> All right. And isn't it interesting that Paul starts in 11 saying, Therefore, remember that you formerly were. He tells us, therefore, remember who we were. 
what he's doing is he's reiterating essentially verses in this this particular verse. He's reiterating a lot of what he says in verses 1 through 10. You were dead in your transgressions. You need to remember you were dead in your transgressions, that you were going to hell, that you had no hope, no future. But God, in verse 4, gave us mercy, gave us great love with which he loved us. He forgave our trespasses, made us alive together, saved us, raised us up with him. I'm skipping along. Showed us the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness and saved us through faith as a gift from himself, which means not because we deserved it, but because he wanted us to have it. I thank God that I can remember back to a time when I was dead in my transgressions, but I had a grace moment where I realized that the mercy, the compassion, the salvation of Christ was available through Christ Jesus. I can remember that. And it's important that we remember those things. Amen? We have to know who we were in order to appreciate who we are. You take a kid and you give him everything he wants growing up. He's not going to appreciate what he has. But if he's seen and shown what it took to get him what he has, he'll appreciate that more. The gospel has to start with how wretched we were. Did you hear me? Because a lot of people want to start the gospel with, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a beautiful message. But that's the middle of the gospel. That's not the beginning of it. You know what the beginning of it is? You were vile and wicked. You were a sinner, both by birth and by action. You were destined for destruction. You were walking in cosmic and divine rebellion. You were horrible things, but God determined to save you anyway and sent his son Jesus that you might have eternal life. But we have to know who we were first, and that's what Paul's saying. Remember, remember, both of you groups, both the circumcised and the uncircumcised, that means the Jew and the, and the Gentile, because Jews were circumcised, Gentiles weren't circumcised, and it was problem is the Jews didn't understand that the circumcision was just a, a sign of who they belonged to, to shadow the idea that at some point, everyone to be in the kingdom of God is going to have to have their heart circumcised, which means they're going to have to cut away the pieces of their heart or allow God to cut away the pieces of them that shouldn't be there so that they are holy in him, not in of themselves. Amen. And so we have to start. Can I tell you, we were horrible people. Paul lays out that we were horrible people. It doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. It doesn't matter whether you're black or white. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you live on the good side of town, the bad side of town, or which end of the railroad tracks. It doesn't matter. Are you an addict or are you sober? It doesn't matter. You know why it doesn't matter? Because Christ died for everyone so that everyone might walk in wholeness. I praise God for that because I was jacked up. I'm still jacked up from time to time. Some of y'all know me well enough to know I can't believe, some of y'all this week, I can't believe Pastor Jim's acting crazy like that. Let me tell you, I'm not perfect yet, but I'm doing everything I can to walk in obedience to God because obedience proves that I love God. But I have to know how bad I was. 
the conflict that I was in so that I could acknowledge the peace that I'm in now. So he said it doesn't matter what circumcised or uncircumcised, what people group, what population. That's a message I need the church to hear. It doesn't matter what denomination you are. You know, we got people that won't talk to people that are in Church of Christ because they're Baptist or Baptist because they're Methodist or whatever. That's ridiculous. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ died for all of us. If we can believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, that God exists as a Trinitarian, is God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, the infallibility of the Word of God, that He is coming back for us. These are primary things necessary for salvation. All these other things, speaking in tongues, or when you take communion, when you don't take communion, let me tell you, those are secondary things. They're not going to get you to heaven. They just, kept, they just keep us apart. Let's just love the Lord based on the first things first. Christ and Him crucified. Amen? Amen? All right. So we were out of relationship with one another. He continues. He said, remember how bad you were, separate from Christ, totally excluded from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You're all, why do I care about that? Because all the blessings flow from the promises and the covenants of Israel. The next step says that you are, or the next thing says, strangers to the covenants. Why do I want to be a, within the commonwealth of Israel? Because it's from the covenant, the, the, from the commonwealth of Israel that the covenants flow. All the promises of God were given first to the Jew. We have access because of those covenants to Christ Jesus. The Abrahamic covenant says, these are the blessings that you'll have. He, he blessed him. He blessed his family. He prospered him. And these are the promises that he gave him. The Davidic covenant says that I will put a king on your throne that will rule people forever. These are what we need. We need the Abrahamic covenants. We need the Davidic covenant that says God will bless us. God will keep us. God will prosper us. But more importantly, God will send a Jesus Christ to sit on the throne for all of eternity so that we might be saved. That's why I want to be part of the commonwealth of Israel because it gives me access to the covenants of God. But there was a time when we weren't any of those things. We missed out on all those things. We had no hope, no promise of an eternity. Can you imagine such a thing? Y'all ever lose somebody you really want to see again? You ever lose somebody? Imagine having no hope of an eternity. And when they shut that coffin, that was the last time you'd ever see that person. I'd be devastated. The idea that I'd never be able to see my papa again would mess me up. I know some of you have lost loved ones. I lost my sister. I, I don't know if I'll get to see her again or not because of her lifestyle but I pray I do. There's always hope. But there was a time where we had no hope. There's a time when we were without God in the world, having no God to worship, no Christ to justify us. But that time is over. Can I tell you, being separate from all of those things should create conflict in us but God. 
He says, but now, in Christ Jesus. I think it's important that we stop here. I want to stop here for a second and just talk to you. It says, but now, in Christ Jesus. I want you to go home this week sometime and read chapters 1 and 2 of Ephesians. And I want you to count for me the number of times you see in Christ, through Christ, by Christ, because of Christ, something along those lines. Every promise that you have in the Scripture is because you are in Christ, through Christ, by Christ, because of Christ. Everything you have is because you are in Christ Jesus. Everything you promised is because you are in Christ Jesus. You're going to find in two chapters, I believe that number is 34 times that it says in, through, or something like that, Christ Jesus. But I want you to go pick those out. You know why? Because you need to understand that it says in Christ Jesus you have this. In Christ Jesus you have access to this. In Christ Jesus there's a hope. In Christ Jesus you've been raised up. Everything that you have, all the peace that you can count on, starts and ends in Christ Jesus. Without Jesus you have nothing. Gain all the stuff you want to. Collect all the stuff in your barns you care to. Let me tell you, rust is going to destroy it. Moth is going to destroy it. It's not going to stand the test of time. There's only one thing that matters, that you are in Christ Jesus. And in Christ Jesus, according to this text, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You know who he's talking about? He's not talking about us and God. He's talking about us. Us and them, whoever them are. You know, we preach it here. Say it. Say it again. Say it again. Until sometimes I think it just gets dead in our ear. But the body of Christ is supposed to be a family. Jesus Christ died to draw us into his family. And we walk around disunified, frustrated with one another, mad at one another, willing, unwilling to forgive one another. These things are anti-Christ. They are anti-Christian. If Christ died so that we can be in unity, so that we can have peace, then to not be in peace with your brother is anti-Christian. You have to be willing to forgive one another because Jesus Christ died so that you could forgive one another. And if you don't forgive one another, the Bible says you can't be forgiven. Hear my heart. Our church, this should be the, the tightest family you have. You're all, man, you, man, what are you talking about? Because this is the family that's going to last for eternity. And we got it, and we got unified under Christ by the blood of Christ. He shed his blood for us by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the conflict, which is in the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one man, establishing peace. Through him, I say it again, I, I know I'm just repeating myself, but I'm okay with that. If you are, I'm going to say it even if you aren't. He shed his blood to make all men one man. To have the same heart, same focus, same purpose, same intent. He unified us 
by allowing his blood to be shed on Calvary for us. That's why if you accept Jesus Christ as Lord, I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you act like. Well, I do care what you act like. You need to bear fruit of a Christian. But I'm going to love you while you're acting that way because God's got work to do on you. God's got work to do on me. God, let me put you in on a secret. I'm going to mess you all up a little bit. We're all on the same ladder. Some of us may be on step three. Some of us may be on step 20. Some of us just barely got off the ground on step one. But if we're on the same ladder, you should be reaching up or reaching down to help a brother out. Because Jesus Christ died so we could. How dare us look down on anyone and not love them as they deserve to be loved? That is the peace that destroys conflict with one another. In verse 16, and might reconcile them both in one body to God. So he reconciled us together, us, and then both in one body to God by that same cross. Man, the cross really is the point that stretches from heaven to earth. By it having put to death the enmity, the conflict that is between us and God. Why would God be at enmity with us? Why would God be mad at us? Why would God be angry with us? Because he created us perfectly. And we rebelled against a divine entity. We in our pridefulness thought we knew better than the God that created us. Had a guy ask me this week, he's learning to write sermons and he's part of a youth program at another church. And we got to talking about pride. And he said, well, would you, he's give me an example. He said, well, would that be an issue of pride? I told him, I said, all sin is an issue of pride. All sin is an issue of pride. You thought you knew better than God and decided to do your own thing. The idea that you would for a second think you know better than the God that created you anything is prideful and a sin and should have caused God to kill us. But he didn't. But he still had to be a perfect judge. There had to be death according to his word. Blood has to be shed for the remission of sin according to the word. But praise God, we, he made a way that we didn't have to shed our blood. He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for us, a heinous death, so that we could be at peace with him. He said, you're guilty, but I'm going to pay the price of your guilt. Wow, that's crazy to me. I, saw, I thought it was cheesy then. It's a little bit cheesy now, but when I was a teenager, it's, there was a guy that had a T-shirt. He said, how much does Jesus love you? And then on the back, it had Jesus' arms spread out like this on a cross. And he said, this much. It was higher, but my shoulders are still messed up. That's how much Jesus loves you. That's how much God loves you. That he placed his son on the cross instead of placing you on the cross. Because the penalty for sin had to be paid. The wages of sin is what? Death. 
You guys, any of y'all have a job in here? Yeah, most of y'all should probably have a job in here. Saw a job, maybe somebody working a job on TV or something. You know, when you go to work, you work so many hours, they give you so much money. That's your wage. You're owed that, right? If I worked for 40 hours and somebody didn't give me a check, I'd be all, wait, what a minute, I earned that. That's my wage. You know what wage you earn by sinning? Death. It's owed you. But God didn't give you that. In fact, he made his son become sin so that he might carry the weight of your sin, so that he might hang on a tree, so that he may be cursed instead of you being cursed, and then had his wrath poured out on him instead of you. That's what God did to destroy the enmity. That's what God did to create peace in us, to destroy the conflict around us. He sent his son Jesus to pay the price that we deserved to pay. And that blows my mind. That should blow your mind. And I, 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 just, I just really want to wring this orange dry. <laughs> because you understand that I'm not talking about some dude you know at work. I'm talking about the God that breathed the universe into existence. The all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing God that had a plan from you from the time from before you were born while you were being knitted in your mother's womb. That God decided to send his son Jesus to die for you. It would be enough if it was somebody I knew. But it was the creator God of the universe, the word that breathed life into me in the first place, that died so that I could continue to have life. Man, praise the Lord. That's the peace that destroys conflict. I've given you a bunch of information today. And I hope it's inspired you. But I'm not here trying to inspire you. I'm here trying to motivate you. To, to encourage you and to challenge you. So what's the challenge? Because hopefully I've encouraged you. What's the challenge? The challenge is to be like Jesus. If by the cross... We came into relationship with one another. And if by the cross, the enmity between us and God is destroyed, guess what we should do? We should be the people that create unity around us and tell the gospel message so that people may be in relationship with God. We should be the peace in any environment that destroys conflict so that unity can happen and so that enmity can be destroyed. This is what Paul says, and I know you guys are going to go... Pastor Jim, you say this all the time. I wouldn't say it all the time if, if y'all would listen. <laughs> I probably would. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. That means all the old things. That means you're a new creature. That means that you're, you're of a different breed now. All the things that made you uncomfortable shouldn't make you uncomfortable anymore, at least to the degree that they keep you quiet. You're like, man, I don't know. I don't want to tell anybody about Jesus. That creature's dead. You're a new creature. The Spirit of God lives in you. He's empowered you to tell people about Jesus. The creature is dead. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us. That is, he made us 
He, he restored relationship with us. He reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he said, he created peace around us and with God. And then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of restoring relationships. Our job, what we've been given, our greater purpose is to restore relationships, to chase after God that we have with everything we are and to restore relationships so other people might know him too. And then he says this, not counting their trespasses against them, he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. What is the word of reconciliation? It's the gospel. God trusted you enough to give you the gospel to reconcile other people to him, to rebuild relationships with him and with each, and with each other. That's, that's beautiful, but at the same time, it's heavy. Because it's not something we, oh, you know what, I don't really want to do that. God didn't say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the ministry of reconciliation if you want it. If you don't want it, it's cool. Don't worry about it. That's not what he said. He said, you have a responsibility to the word of reconciliation, to the gospel, to tell other people about who I am to walk in forgiveness, to walk in humility, to walk in such a way that you're long-suffering, joyful, so that other people might actually want what you have. That's what the ministry of reconciliation is. It's the gospel. So my challenge, because God initiated peace in us, because God initiated peace with himself in us, it's our responsibility to do the same around us. Take it serious. I pray every time I'm up here, and I know you guys, maybe some of y'all get tired of hearing it. Well, that's just the only thing he knows to pray. It's not the only thing I know to pray. But I pray almost every time I'm up here, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know you better. You know why? Because the more I know of God, the more I can tell about God. The greater revelation I have, the greater revelation I can give. The more wisdom God gives me, the more wisdom I can, I can hand to somebody else. About what? About God, not about myself. I'm not trying to prove how smart I am. I've tried that. It never works out. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. My charge to you is to be that person to the people around you. Oh, that makes me uncomfortable. It doesn't matter. Well, I got a policy at my office that says I can't talk to nobody about Jesus. My question would be, who you who you most concerned with offending? We've been given the word of reconciliation. Let's be that people that we may help or be a conduit to restoring peace, resurrecting peace in someone else. Amen? Let's pray.